This is the Fire Dog Podcast. The views and opinions presented on today's episode are those of the speaker and do not necessarily represent the views of the Department of Defense or the United States Air Force. Welcome, my name is Matt Wilson. Thank you for joining us for episode 40 of the Fire Dog Podcast. Our guest today is a former former Ohio Fire Marshal and has been a chief officer of several departments over 30 years of experience. He's a graduate of Kennedy School's program of senior executives in state and local government at Harvard University. He also holds a master's degree in public administration from Norwich University and is the past president of the Institution of Fire Engineers USA branch. He's worked with national-level organizations such as FEMA, United States Fire Administration, and the National Fire Academy, and he's served on NFPA committees, NFPA 1250 and 1201. In 2019, he received Ohio Fire Service Distinguished Service Award for all that he contributed to the state of Ohio. It is my pleasure to welcome Chief Bob Relog. Well, Chief, uh, I really appreciate you you joining me, and the the reason that I reached out to you initially is because I came across... An article that you wrote, or I, I think I came across some kind of advertisement that Fire Rescue One had on Facebook that had mentioned your name and uh, company officer mm-hmm. development, something along those lines, company officer leadership. I clicked on it, and then I looked into a few more of your articles, and you know, I just thought that it, you know, I'd reach out and see if we get you on the podcast because yeah. it sounded like there was a breadth of experience there, uh, and something that we could uh, we, we could discuss and some value for Air Force firefighters particularly. We're young, and I know we talked on the phone about transition from the service into the fire service, and I think that that's a good topic to discuss here. So before we get into the talking points, could you give us an overview of your career, both military and civilian? Sure. Uh, well, I was actually uh, a volunteer firefighter. Uh, I took my training when I was 16, and back in the day, um, in the uh, 1960s in Ohio, if you had your parents' permission, you could take uh, the 36-hour volunteer firefighter course. Hmm. And I started out in a little department, one-station department, called Madison Place on the east side of Cincinnati. Uh, actually didn't live really that close, but uh, especially during the summertime, I was a, a lifeguard for the Cincinnati Recreation Commission. It was right around the corner from the firehouse. So I had a deal with my supervisor that when the house siren went off, I took my lunch break. So uh, that's, that's, how I, uh, that's how I started out. Awesome. Um, what into, year was that? Oh, golly. It would have been in the mid-1960s, 65, wow. 66, something like that. Excellent. Um, went into the University of Cincinnati. Uh, obviously, there was a time when uh, you know the draft was still in and uh, Vietnam was still very strong. So decided that um, number one is if I was going to go in the military, I wanted to go in as an officer. So I went into Air Force ROTC. Um, wound up getting a scholarship from the Air Force uh, to uh, to attend the University of Cincinnati. Um, and then graduated, um, actually graduated, was commissioned, and got married in the same week. Uh, and a couple of us did that, uh, that, were, that were all in that. Um, I uh, had flunked my uh, pilot uh, physical because I had an astigmatism, so I chose to go into uh, air intelligence and uh, went to Laurie Air Force Base out in Colorado, which is no longer there. Uh, mm-hmm. Matter of fact, there are a bunch of houses and a bunch of apartment buildings where it used to be. 
there's actually some fire protection history of that particular yeah. place. We used to train firefighters there in the Air Force, believe Ooh. it or not. Yeah. Yeah, back well, in the 50s, I believe. Yeah, it was It was also the uh, into the uh, late 60s and early 70s, it was where um, the intelligence school was, and it was actually oh, okay. a DOD school. Uh, there were Marines, there were Navy, there were Air Force, all going yeah. through the same the same. Uh, and that's course. funny because... The, uh, the current intelligence school is at Goodfellow in Texas. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. Yeah. And so is the firefighting cool. training. So the firefighter and intelligence training are they both at Goodfellow, of, they San Angelo, Texas. corresponding and, and went from there. I uh, guess I always thought that they probably paired us up with Intel as firefighters because we'd never look into their stuff and never understand it. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about that. Uh, it really wasn't, uh, at, at the basic level, it really wasn't that, uh, that difficult. Uh, I got assigned to... Uh, um, to Offutt Air Force Base Strategic, actually the 544th uh, Aerospace Reconnaissance Technical Wing, and um, basically then got reassigned to SAC headquarters, and I spent uh, close to three years um, in the underground, uh, about uh, four or five stories deep into the uh, bowels of the uh, uh, of Offutt, and uh, my job, I had uh, twofold. Uh, my assignment was as a photo interpreter, and of course we were doing overhead reconnaissance at, at that time in a fairly sophisticated level, but nothing even close to what some of the private companies are showing us as far as uh, the Ukraine is concerned. Mm -hmm. So we were keeping tabs on things around the world, and then I also um, had a, um, a role as a briefing officer in uh, a a uh, group that's uh, uh, unclassified uh, uh, name was called September Song, and it was basically the Air Force's uh, strategic analysis of threats around the world. Um, had the opportunity to meet a number of, of really neat people. Um, uh, met a couple future presidents, including uh, George H.W. Uh, Bush, who was came through when he was appointed by President Nixon as the ambassador to the United Nations and we were bringing him up to speed. Great man. Probably the nicest man that I ever uh, briefed during that time. And as a matter of fact, my briefing partner was somebody that the Air Force should know. It was uh, then Lieutenant Mike Hayden, uh, now General Mike Hayden, retired. Um, and of course, you know, he was everything from NSA to CIA to, to you know, the National Security Advisor in, in, in past. But uh, Mike and I actually briefed uh, uh, the, uh, the future president. Uh, and the neat thing about that was, of all the people that we briefed, after we were done, he asked us to pull up two chairs and he picked our brain for the next probably 45 minutes to an hour, which nobody else did. Everybody else sort of took it as, okay, you know, here's a bunch of guys. Yeah, they're young. They're, they're exuberant. They, they know what they're doing. They talk about it. But he went into great detail, and I never forgot that. And uh, I was very, very pleased. He is certainly one of my, or was one of my favorite people, um, you know, from that standpoint. Um, went on, went to um, uh, my uh, my number got picked for Vietnam, and uh, actually um, I started out at headquarters Seventh Air Force, uh, doing virtually the same thing, but with a different 
uh, vehicle for for the reconnaissance aspect, <clears throat> and then Seventh Air Force a different left. vehicle, mean a different platform, a, a different, different platform, platform, yes, different platform. For, and so you were still uh, an, analyzing images. Correct, analyzing images, making. Uh, uh, assessments uh, and then briefing. Uh, so uh, I actually uh, had a once a week, uh, I had a daily brief with the staff officers, uh, including uh, General Lavelle and then General Vogt when he took over 7th Air Force, and then uh, a weekly with the ambassadors. Uh, there were actually two ambassadors, uh, people may not know that, uh, in Vietnam at the time. Um, uh, Ambassador Bunker and Ambassador Whitehead, and uh, both of those uh, folks were were briefed. Um, and so, Seventh Air Force left about uh, six months after I got there. In the reduction of forces, um, basically everything went to Thailand and to the Philippines because they wanted less numbers of Air Force personnel in the country. And what year did you get there? I got there in '71. Uh, spent 13 months, uh, so about so six right months at the in. End. Yeah, uh, so I got transferred to MACV, which was an interesting thing because um, I, I reported in across the street to MACV. Uh, it was pretty close to Tonsonut Air Base, and uh, uh, the colonel that I was going to be working for basically said, "Well, go down the hall and you know get a couple sets of fatigues and whatever." I sort of looked at him and said, sir, uh, light at the end of the tunnel, we're about to turn it out. He said, mm -hmm. son, you're in the Army now. So, <laughs> so I spent... MACV, Military Assistance Command, Vietnam. Vietnam. Yeah. So I spent about uh, seven months with them, left uh, 13 months into the, uh, uh, of, uh, the tour that I had. And the interesting thing was I was supposed to leave at 12 months, and after that 12 month, I went over to... Uh, human resources or personnel, and I said, hey, I was supposed to leave this month, and they looked at me and said, you left with 7th Air Force. I said, does it look like I left at 7th Air Force? I said, do you, <laughs> do you think if I could have left with 7th Air Force, I would be back here in, uh, in MACV? Right. So they said, oh, well, well, you know, we can get you out in two weeks. So I actually spent about, actually, 12 months and two weeks in uh, Oh, in wow. It was, it's changed it was, so much now, it is. and probably because of Vietnam well, and, and World War II and all that, because of battle fatigue and, and whatever else. Yeah. It's just being away from home for 12 months, that's crazy to think about today. One of the interesting things that was there is I went back to uh, Vietnam at the insistence of my eldest son, um, oh. who uh, actually was part of the flotilla that went into Da Nang in, I think, 2012. So in 2014, I went back to to Vietnam, my wife and I, and um, I must tell you, uh, we did win their hearts and minds. It took a while, hmm. it was a long run, but they're probably one of our best allies, uh, short Isn't of Japan crazy? or whatever in, uh, in the Southeast Asia area. So at least they were back then, I, I don't mm -hmm. know what they are currently. So anyway, right. that's sort of the Air Force. Um, got out of the Air Force, uh, basically wanted to be in an area where I could be a firefighter, so I joined um, a department that covered um, uh, Colerain Township, which is the largest township in the uh, state of Ohio. Um, there were two, of, uh, two departments. Um, served as a volunteer for about three years, and in uh, 1975, um, 
the voters wanted to consolidate the two departments into one department that basically was a combination department, career uh, and volunteer. And so I, I went and uh, joined that, uh, became the lieutenant of training, uh, basically worked my way up. Um, and at about the age of 30, I was a, a district chief and then uh, became an assistant chief with that department. Um, and stayed with them for 27 years, and at the, in 1999, Governor Taft appointed me the fire marshal for the state of Ohio, which is a very unique position. It's a combination of not only firefighting and training, seven different bureaus, um, obviously investigations including uh, arson and, and other things, um, and uh, basically uh, I stayed there for, for five years. Um, the the fire marshal actually, by the Ohio Revised Code, superintends all 1,200 fire departments in the state of Ohio. So, had about uh, 40,000 career and and volunteer firefighters at the time. Um, you know that basically were taking so the direction from uh, from that. And then um, when I left there, I became chief of a of a small. Um, city department, uh, again in southwest Ohio, um, and uh, then when I retired uh, from that, which was in 2013, um, then I actually am working part-time now for the original department that I started with. Uh, Just couldn't get away from it. Couldn't get away from it. Uh, <laughs> special projects manager, which basically the job description is anything the chief needs. Uh, so it's sort yep. of a if it's a, it's sort of a combination of aide de camp and chief of staff. So yeah. it's a it's uh, the department covers 45 square miles, got five stations, about 160 some odd uh, firefighters, and uh, That's all paramedics. And so it's a you know it's a it's a relatively interesting job. Um, How big is the community you serve? Uh, Sixty thousand. Uh, 
uh, it was my uh, my master sergeant and my staff sergeants that um, that I had in the presentation section that basically knew what they were doing and when I asked for something or when we got tasked with something would say hey that's no big deal we can do this right. um, they were 16 17 hour days in Vietnam just so you know and that's that's yeah. that, significant. well and, and again that's one of the things that that I asked for because um, the the colonel that I directly worked for at uh, uh, at SEC headquarters, when I got the assignment, said, "Well, do you do you want an easy job or do you want a hard job? Do you want a job that's going to make the days go quickly, or do you want a job that basically you can lean back and just you know be leisurely over there?" And I said, "Hey, sir, I want I want the job that is going to make the days go easy." So literally, we had 16 to 17 hour days, you know, six seven hours of sleep, and. Basically, that's 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 how you got through that year or uh, 13 months that was over there, and it, it, that that was really the best advice I that I that I had. But going back to it, the NCOs were just fabulous. Um, mm -hmm. We 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 once got um, an assignment to do an assessment and then frag a, a, a target that had been very elusive in uh, in Vietnam, and I'm sitting here. Knowing that I have to also pass the Navy as far in, in addition to the Air Force in this, I knew nothing about Navy musicians. So I'm sitting around going, I had like 24 hours to do this. And I looked at the one master sergeant and he says, Ah, oh, that's no problem. Don't worry about it. Yeah, he says, <laughs> I got, I got a Marine Corps buddy that, can, that knows everything about, right. about. I know people. Yeah, I know people. Came back yeah. with, a, with, a, with a frag that was about five years old and all we did was retasked the ships that were out there along with what we had assets you know in, in Thailand and then basically the munitions that uh, uh, that were now current as opposed to whatever hmm. and you know put it all together send it off within 24 hours and they went hey this is great so we were yeah. you know but it was like it, it was always good if we had something that that we had to also work with the fleet on uh, you know, my master sergeant knew knew everybody and knew everybody that was on station in the Navy and all that sort of business, and just made yeah, a phone call and then, it was it was done. It was cool. Back then, uh, if they called him the backbone of the Air Force of the Army or whatever, but that you know they say that even today, the backbone of the Air Force or NCOs, because well, they is, really carry the weight. It is honestly true, and uh, you know I learned that a great deal. Brought that experience back to the fire service. So we'll get back to the fire service on it. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, and, and and my thoughts along that line are, you know, the 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 job that the that the company officer does in the, in the in the fire service in a lot of ways, even though you know they they hold a title of lieutenant or captain, is a lot like the NCOs because sure. it's where the rubber meets the road. Um, sure. It's it's training, it's operations, it's administration, it's all of those things, you know, that are there. Um, and, and you know, a good chief officer knows that they're relying on their company officers to make it happen when, you know, everything is going to hell in a handbasket. And, and I think that that's, that's the key element. I don't care if you're the chief of the department or you're the district chief or you're any of the chief officers in between. You know, you really, really, really have to rely on the fact that, that the NCOs or, you know, the, the company officers are mm -hmm. really your backbone and your lifeline. Absolutely. And for context in the Air Force, 
and Army, um, not the Navy, but the Marine Corps, the company officer role is typically filled by an NCO or pretty much exclusively filled by an NCO, if not a civilian mm-hmm. um, equivalent GS-8. But uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, the uh, the responsibilities are very similar. And, again, yeah, you, like you said, it's the backbone. And that was a great segue into the talking point I wanted to bring up with sure. you was uh, advice for young leaders, specifically company officers. I mean, you, in one article I think I read, you had mentioned Alan Brunacini. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I really love it. Well, his his book, Fire Command, everything that he had to say in there was excellent. I've seen a handful of videos that he made before he passed, which I'm so glad somebody sat down and kind of picked his brain and uh, got that on film. Um, and But you talked also about the experience being foundational to being a good leader, uh, being ready for the role, understanding operating procedures, expect, expectations, stuff like that. I don't know uh, what you want to highlight there, but what kind of advice do you have for company officers? Well, I think uh, a company officer has to realize first what he or she is, you know, being asked to do. Um, they, you know, they don't operate in a in, in a vacuum for 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 sure, but they they basically are responsible normally for a station's response. Um, and and that is a huge huge situation. Um, I, I guess the first thing is um, all company officers in general, as we mentioned, uh, you know, need to to know not only operations but need to know training, need to know personnel, need to know administration. There are all those things that they're being asked to do, um, not just filling out reports, not just whatever, but. Um, from an administrative, I you know standard, um, I, I strongly recommend that if they see a better way of doing something, um, you know that they try it, they experiment. Um, I had a my, my first chief um, at at the the volunteer fire department said, hey, you've got some great ideas, um, you know, go out and experiment with them, but don't experiment below the water line. And that's that. That's a, again sort of a, a navy anachronism. But basically, don't blow out the bottom of the ship and sink us. But right. you know, if if it's something you can do, if it's something you can try, if it's something that it begins to work, then bring it to me, and I'll you know, and we'll we'll do it department wide. Uh, I've got those people now. Um, I've got some really great company officers who not only know and understand their people, especially the people that are directly assigned to them on a shift, but also are willing to take, um, you know, the, um, the opportunity to not only instill in them, but to get from them some great ideas and to try them out. Um, for example, um, and we just deployed this uh, last week, um, our first attack line, especially for anything that's over 20 feet away from the street, is what they, we, we basically call, since our department's coal rain, we call it the coal rain load. It's actually two sections of two and a half gated Y and then a, um, a single uh, inch and three quarter off so that we're not taking that, uh, that pre-connect line and using up a third of it when we've got a right. two-story house 
that we're trying to get to. So that was all something that one of the company officers came up with. He experimented with it, um, basically it was adopted department-wide, and it was perfectly utilized in a three-story house, that an old frame three-story house that we had, you know, um, going last week. So you're, you're saying two 50-foot sections off the truck of three-inch and then one 50-foot off of that gated Y? Uh, no, no, no. There's, there's 150 oh. feet off of the gated Y. Off the gated Y. So it gives you about 100 more feet. Absolutely. Of distance, but you're not wasting You're not wasting, and, and you also have a larger volume of water. And with a gated Y, you, if you need to extend the second line, just take it off the pre-connect sure. and put it on the end of the Y, and you've already gained that, that, that extra 100 feet that, that's out right. there. So it's, it's those kinds of ideas that actually came from company officers. We tried out on, on, on a training idea and basically, um, you know, then shown to um, a chief and, and basically, you know, the chief of operations said, hey, you know, this makes perfect sense, let's, sure. let's try it. So those are the kinds of things that I think that, um, you know, that we look at from a practical example. Um, I also think that, you know, the, the company officer or the NCO is the one that really has to keep tab on the individuals. Um, not only from a morale standpoint, um, you know, um, making sure that, you know, that, that they're not having some personal issues that, you know, that swing back in to affect the, um, you know, the uh, uh, effectiveness of the, of the company itself. And, and also, you know, just to know their people, to know when they're down, to know whatever. I, I've got a very unique position. I can walk in to, to the assistant chiefs or the, or the chief of the department, and if I see that they're down, I'll just stop and say, hey, what's going on? How are you feeling? You know? mm-hmm. And so I'm sort of that, 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 that relief point you know, mm-hmm. if they want to share uh, you know, a problem or something of this nature. And we all need that. And I think that's one of the roles uh, that that company officer plays. Uh, and, sure. and that all gets back to the effectiveness of their company and the effectiveness, um, obviously, on the operations field. Yeah, I think a key element of this for a chief officer is empowering that company officer. Absolutely. And having a culture of empowerment, because without empowerment, they're not going to do as you described and take it upon themselves to rethink how they deploy hose or not take care of people in fear of, you know, no, you no. know, doing the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing, right? You really have to empower them and allow them to fail to a certain extent so that they feel comfortable. Don't, right? you know, Matt, the, the, the two things that I can say is you're absolutely right, number one. And, and number two, it's that back to what my wise first chief ever said, you know, don't experiment below the waterline. In other words, don't do something that's, that's, that's so dangerous that's going to get somebody hurt, but come up with ideas. And, 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 you know, you're right. There has to be a culture that allows the company officer to do that. There's, right. there's, with the technology and with the equipment that we constantly have that's evolving, new things can be, can be brought into play that sure. not only become more effective, but become a safer environment for our firefighters. Mm-hmm. Now, Here's here's the problem, and I'm sure it's the same in the in in the Air Force as uh, you know as it is in in civilian life. 
somebody then often says, well, you've got all this, this new equipment. Now we can reduce your company from four to three. Yeah, yeah right, right, you know, right. Because staffing is the other side of that. And that's a constant battle that I think every department, the chief has to fight. Yeah. Every department and everything has to, you know, has to be uh, uh, be fought and fought well. Um, you know, we're like I said, we're a department that does about twelve thousand runs a year out of five stations, um, having about thirty-five people on duty. Um, you know, at a, at a time. Now, not all the stations have all the same amount of equipment. So all of them have engines. But, you know, some of the others have a rescue, some of the others have a ladder, this nature. So there's more of a complement of people there. But sure. at the same time, um, you know, we, we have some things in the fire service that, that, that the administrative side, not necessarily the chief, but maybe the city manager or whatever, thinks are, are great things to reduce the personnel costs. And, Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have a personal situation uh, with regard to um, to Quince. So I don't know if you have Quince in the... In the we do. Okay. Yep, we do. But the problem comes down to is when it pulls up on a scene, is it is it an engine or is it a ladder? Mm-hmm. It can't yeah. be both. You can't place right. that piece of equipment. Yeah, you have to decide exactly. for each situation what you, how do you want to employ that piece. So going back to that fire where we talked about the, the first in-engine deployed the, that, uh, uh, that extended line, uh, the first piece of equipment was actually a mutual aid uh, company that came in with a quint. It laid a, it laid a supply line, mm-hmm. and then it put up its stick and mm-hmm. it went to the roof, and there was nobody left to pump water. Yeah. <laughs> As right. a matter of fact, that hydrant never got turned on. So we were really sort of a little bit behind the power curve uh, because the, the first in engine, had, which it did, it was taking what they thought was second water, and it turned out to be primary water. So it was, it was a very interesting situation. Um, but I always say that that piece of apparatus was designed by a city manager because they thought, well, we could use it for both. <laughs> we could do it for both, right. Yeah. And, and I've had too much experience... Um, with um, you know, with that type of equipment, that, that basically, if they don't make the right decision, you really, you know, you really set back a long period of time, uh, you know, trying to um, trying to reassess your needs. So yeah, the last department I was in, we had a quint, and it was at a station by itself, and it served as an engine, um, you know, for that district that it was in, so that it could meet the. ISO. The first water, yeah. uh, you know, aggregate response for that particular district, and it would be used as an engine. But if there was in another district, so for the base, it could be, it, it could, could be the latter, could be the latter, right? Um, and it was kept in a district where, well, there weren't that the buildings weren't necessarily that high, although we did use it on some of the buildings, but no more than really two stories. The hospital was probably the tallest building there and you know it was rare to get a call there anyways but anyways yeah so it was uh, i like the way that we employed it there you know we used it as an engine that primarily in the first response and then we would use it as a secondary response ladder that makes that makes perfect sense um in this particular case um uh, there was uh, our ladder was out uh on a different run our Actually, our first due engine was out on a, on a, on a separate run, uh, and the 
uh, Quint is the only piece of apparatus that this department has. So it came in and, you know, started as, as an engine and then, you know, um, as I said, never, never pumped, but mm-hmm. yet had probably the closest hydrant. So it, it's an interesting thing. And again, getting back to what we were saying is that experimentation should be for um, not, uh, not just the effectiveness of the use and the safety of the use uh, of the personnel, but one that, um, that supports the overall um, standard that your department is trying to, you know, to meet mm-hmm. and keep. Um, the, uh, the problem that we have, and I guess it's universal, is you know, we're always trying to do more with less, and the less mm-hmm. is always, uh, always personnel, which mm-hmm. makes that NCO or company officer's role even more important because obviously there's, you're, you're trying to retain the good, the good personnel that you have, have them re-up, just like we are trying to keep our personnel from leaving and going to either a bigger city or one that pays, you know, uh, $3 more an hour or something of this nature. Um, and, and so consequently, a part of that is how innovative are you and, you know, how are you keeping your firefighters through their company officers engaged in trying to improve the operations right. that we do. Yeah, and that's huge to people, mm-hmm. you know. Really, anybody, even non-firefighters, having some level of empowerment within the organization, having some level of decision-making authority at their, you know, so that they can have an impact. Absolutely. And not be a piece of a machine. Now, you know, you show up, you do what I say, and then you go home, right? People want to be somewhere where they make a difference. Yeah, that is correct. Now, the other side of the coin, and I, I know it's true in the military, and it's certainly true in the department that I serve in now, is there are expectations that if one of your personnel, uh, as, as, as a company officer, one of the people that you supervise, crosses over the line and is not you know, not doing or not appearing or not presenting themselves in the way that they, that they uh, should be, um, you know, given the guidelines of that department or of the military, then it's up to that, that NCO or company officer to, to take at least the initial uh, counseling aspects and making sure and trying to, to, to get that person back, you know, into... Um, you know the uh, the mold. I shouldn't say the mold because that looks that's constrictive, but but into you know the um, areas that of expectations are to be met with regard to you know to their performance and to their appearance and to those kinds of things that um, you know that we all take uh, as our professionalism. Yeah, going back to when you were describing kind of the role of the company officer and NCO earlier. I mean, you're almost you're almost charged with being a uh psychologist among other things right and it's 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 such a heavy responsibility and it's it's, a really tough job you know probably short of parenting it's uh you know it's probably one of the the things that are there and and sometimes i can remember it being as a as a as a company officer or as a as a district chief you know lots of times um being uh, you know, being the person that somebody came to that, you know, said, hey, I got this problem. How can you, how can you help me? And, mm-hmm. you know, 
maybe some people don't want to be, but maybe that person is reaching out for the first time, and maybe you don't have all the answers, but you can guide them to the people that do, whether that's a, a formal counseling situation or whether that's, you know, getting some, you know, medical assistance with regard to an ailment, something of that nature, you know, you're, you're you're short of being a parent, but you still have the responsibility of making sure that your crew is in top-notch condition, mentally, physically, sure. you know, all of those things that are that are there. So I got to ask. So we talk we talked here a lot about empowerment and um, really how important that is, and in, in being a being having the best opportunity really as a company officer NCO. What do you what advice can you offer for those who may not have that level of empowerment because I mean, we're talking about in the Air Force yep. over 160 different locations. I mean, you know, statistically speaking, you're not going to have an ideal circumstance every place. What kind of advice can we offer for folks in those situations? Well, well the first thing I think is, um, you know, in, in the Air Force, you're, you're probably not assigned to a base forever. Uh, and, and so consequently, you have to make the best of the, you know, of the given situation. Um, and, you know, maybe you as a company officer don't have a supervisor, um, whatever level that might be, um, that's as geared in as you are to your personnel or to uh, the level of training, um, you know, the, the, the kinds of operations that are, that are there. Um, I would suggest that, you know, you you basically conduct yourselves in the most professional manner that you can. You offer suggestions. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that person that you report to uh, may not be there forever. Uh, they may get, you know, transferred, you know, a month from, you know, you know, from now. Uh, and, and so, you know, you, you have to gear yourself and keep your own um, level of morale up, mm. and also of your of your personnel. Um, you know, I, I I've had that. Um, you know, um, there there were times uh, the higher up you go into state or local government, uh, and and certainly when I was in Columbus as the state fire marshal, there were people who would support me, and there were people that that thought that I, you know, might be, um, you know, trying to, um, to, to secure favors that they should be getting. Um, and, and I'll give you an example. We did some very creative things at the state level. We did a, a program called um, uh, Can You Feel the Heat? Uh, and, and it was designed for departments to bring their local uh, council people, trustees, uh, mayors, um, and, and we did it about three times in a year, and we actually had them spend a day, um, and, and they actually went through a, a very small live burn in our burn building, uh, but they learned all the steps uh, of firefighting. Um, there were people that thought that was in, entirely inappropriate for state government because um, we were, I hate to say this, but there were partisan politics even in, in there. We were bringing somebody from another party 
into mm. you know into uh, you know that training aspect. Well, that's where the local people needed the support, but they took that as being well. Why are they here? Um, you know, so it was it was it was really strange. We we went ahead and did it anyway. Uh, and my immediate boss took some heat from other people over that. Um, and 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 quite frankly, um, you know, we continued that for the five years that I was there. Then it, it sort of petered out um, for those folks that uh, uh, that were there. The uh, uh, not. Not the governor's changed, but the people underneath the governor's changed, and you know the the um, you know the feeling was you know well you know we're not gonna we're not gonna we're not gonna do those extra things anymore. We're just gonna do what you're basically what the what the what the code said that you do as a you know right. as a, a person in that position, and, and that really caused a lot of problems and a lot of good people. Um, you know, we're very disappointed. A lot of creative people were very disappointed. So we've been through that as well. Um, but uh, in the long run, you will succeed. And right. I, that's all I can tell you. In the long so run, you just you've, got look the storm. At, you've right. got to look at the long picture. Sure. Yeah, things are always changing. Yep. People are changing. And then, of course, the nature of the military is change. You know, change happens pretty rapidly when compared to you know, the civilian, our civilian I would, so. I would suggest that it is, and, uh, you know, you can be pretty doggone innovative at this point in time. Uh, I would sure. hope that, you know, that that continues. Yeah. Chief, let's talk about transitioning uh, from the military okay. to the civilian fire service. I understand that, uh, well, it sounds from your experience in the couple of departments that you served that uh, recruiting is a challenge, kind of a ever-existing challenge and that uh, military members serving in the Air Force as firefighters sound like probably ideal candidates especially consider we have ISAC pro board, pro board certification right. so um, yeah what kind of advice or what, what kind of things would you say to those military members who may want to transition to the civilian fire service well uh, I will try it on twofold situation number one is I've been looking for groups that would uh, help uh, those folks who were separating from the service uh, find departments that were looking especially towards military. Um, I, I find that those uh, on our department that have previous military experience um, are much easier uh, to transition um, into the, um, the quasi-military structure of a fire department. Uh, they understand right, 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 right. ranks and responsibilities. They understand. Yeah, it's a paramilitary organization. Exactly. Um, you know, so I haven't found that organization yet, or at least anyone that has that has decided that you know that that that's something that they they want to do. So individually, I would suggest that, especially since you're dual certified, both IFSAC and Pro Board, which is a huge step. It wasn't that way. Um, back at least 20 years ago that I can re remember. Um, I believe most of the service back then was pro board. Um, and wherever you wish to resettle, you know, um, most people have a fairly decent idea of where, you know, what part of the country or, 
you know, even maybe what state or what part of the state, you know, they'd like to, you know, they'd like to go um, and, and settle in. Um, I, I think what my advice is they, you need to, to start sending out some, some letters, um, you know, mm -hmm. finding out certainly on the web, you know, who's uh, an officer in that department, probably who is the administrative chief and whatever. Uh, finding out if they either go and hire direct or if they go through recruit, you know, some sort of recruit class. What we found, those folks that have come off of the military as firefighters require very little transition into um, the department and basically that transition is maybe getting familiar with our level of operations, our equipment, those kinds of things. Um, you know, going through maybe a couple of the live burns that we have at our burn building, that kind of situation. Uh, it's not, you know, it, it's not a complete new orientation as if you're taking a new recruit um, and it's the first time that they've had on SCBA or it's the first time that they've, you know, that they've um, ever gone through a, um, a, a maze as far as, uh, uh, you know, entanglements and that kind right. of stuff when breathing air. So all of that is, is important. I, I think, unfortunately, right now, the onus is on the individual as opposed to if we ever find a group that was willing to help place people um, in departments. And, and, and when they look at it, they have to look at what size department. Um, you know, I think one of the things that we have is um, we're not so big that there's so much of a power structure that there is an innovation. Um, you know, some of the very large city departments with thousands of firefighters, you know, that's got a structure, has to have a structure. It's, it's so paramilitary that, you know, you, you, you probably, you know, your, your district chief may not even know your first name. So, you know, it's that kind of a situation that you've got to first off evaluate. Secondly, um, at least now, it, it's, you know, you're really in, in a prime position because we are looking, I think most departments are looking, for qualified candidates, for people sure. who really want to be firefighters for the right reasons. Um, it's, certainly, it's certainly not all, you know, guts and glory. There's a lot of mundane things that we do. Um, but, you know, there's also some really neat stuff. And it's not just firefighting and medics, you know, hazmat, you know, um, technical rescue, uh, water rescue, ice rescue, all of those things that the department our size does and more, uh, you know, that you could really excel in or at least be that person that, um, you know, is the overall um, person in charge. Um, we, we have a, um, you know, a lieutenant that basically is in charge of ice rescue, does, no matter who's going through the class, that's the instructor. Um, you know, you can take off on a specialized subject and own it. Um, and, and, and that's where I think, uh, you know, the size of the department is, is one of those things that you Important. need to consider. Yeah, we're no stranger to mundane tasks in the Air Force. Um, but, you know, a handful of us have been fortunate to, you know, serve the community in emergency response capacity, too. So, and I know that most firefighters, if not all, probably most, you know, they look forward to 
to going on responses, and you mentioned earlier 12,000 for your particular yeah. department, right? I think annual. Yeah, about, nine, is, nine, about 9,200 of those are, nine. are uh, medic runs. Okay. But 12,000 well, overall. We're talking about close to 30 a day, you know. Yeah, it, uh, we're, we're about 30, 36 a day. Yeah, yeah, and that's much more significant than what we experience in the Air Force. I mean, the busiest department is probably in the neighborhood of two to 3,000 a year. Okay. Um, so, so you're looking yeah. at maybe seven to eight a year, or seven or eight a day, yeah, responses. Yeah, at, at, the, at the busier places, right? At the not-so-busy places, you're talking about two, three, mm-hmm. maybe two average. Um, great. Uh, I had a question about... Oh, do you direct hire at that department that you're in I'm right sorry, now? I'm sorry, do you direct hire? Yes. Direct hire, and have you heard of departments that who traditionally do recruitment and academy that will direct hire prior service firefighters? Because I know that's a big sticking point for some. You know, guys may not want to go through academies yeah, and stuff like uh, that. Yeah, again, I think they almost have to look at the individual departments. Um, you know, um, there are those even fairly large-sized departments that will take somebody and put them into maybe a four-week training program as opposed to a, you know, a, a six- or seven-month training period. Uh, and they just want to make sure that they're up to speed with regard to, you know, both the operations and the types of equipment that they have. Um, direct hires, um, you know, that that is something that is, I think, going to be... Um, more uh, utilized in the future. Um, the cost of training, uh, the, the, the time and the effort that is put in, um, I, I, would, I would think that some departments, more departments than are now, will, will be looking at that depending on the individual candidate or candidates. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and I think that that's, again, a, a feel for what's the size of the department that you want. If you're going to the FDNY, the only thing you, you know, you do is, you know, you're up, you're at the, at the training academy, um, you know, for whatever their time is. I think it's eight months. Uh, and, uh, and there's no difference, I, I don't believe. Wow, that's a long time. Um, you know, plus the wait time to get on the list. I mean, they, they right. you know, and, and they have several thousand people take an entrance exam. Um, you know, you, you come to a department like us and, you know, even when we're uh, looking at, um, you know, hiring new recruits, we're talking about a recruit class of maybe 20 a year. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's a probably an eight-month process where they come in and, um, you know, they come out paramedic and firefighter to train. Um, certainly. Uh, if you come in paramedic. with qualifications, uh, firefighter, you know, firefighter two, paramedic, uh, you're, you're not going to go through that class. I mean, it's a waste of time for us. You're going to, you're going to have some orientation, but you know, it's not going to be something that uh, sure. you know, you're looking at. Yeah. Yeah. Chief, I wanted to ask you about your books. I've read in a bio somewhere that you are working on two books. I or am, and, and, and I hate to say this, but with COVID, it's sort of, you know, everybody said, well, with COVID, you should have, you know, you should have plenty of time. But the, the, the problem <laughs> was, no, I, I, a lot of us were working from home, but we've actually found ourselves doing more work and probably mm-hmm. longer hours uh, uh, during yeah. COVID. So that's... More distractions at home, too. Exactly. Um, 
I, I, the, the, um, the, the, the book that we uh, were discussing with regard to line of duty deaths uh, was with a gal by the name of Joanne Steen. And Joanne has written two books for the military. One is called uh, Military Widow, and the other is called We Regret to Inform You. Um, and, and she actually lost um, uh, her husband uh, uh, in a, um, in a uh, Navy uh, accident, uh, aircraft accident, um, a, um, probably now 15, 20 years ago. So it, I was trying to get uh, Joanne to work on the line of duty death um, with me. Um, and her schedule and my schedule have not <clears throat> gelled well since COVID. Uh, has, has it took place. So that was the one reason for that. Um, the fire service leadership... And that's called a practical guide for families dealing with fire or police line of duty deaths. Correct. And that's the working title. Uh, that was the one yeah. that really got interrupted. The other, the leadership book, is really a compendium of, of, of what I've written over the last 25 right. years. Uh, right. Some of right. it is important, some of it's not. And I've got a, I've got a rough draft of that. Um, but to be honest with you... Um, um, I, I, I thought uh, a couple of the uh, fire service publication houses would uh, would like to look at that, and, and mm-hmm. they really they really aren't. Uh, they're oh, yeah. they're transitioning more into what we're doing now: podcasts, podcasts, telecasts, mm-hmm. things of this nature. And, and so I, I I think you'll find uh, in the near future like that uh, some of those companies are even going to probably get out of the printed right. you know printed aspect. Well, Chief, if you sat behind a mic and recorded it, they may, uh, well, you know, that they may want to take be, it. Audio books are pretty popular. Yeah, yeah that, that's, 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 that's a good idea. I didn't even... That's a lot of reading, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, what the uh, heck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I consume I, I, yeah. uh, audiobooks myself, so... Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea, Matt. I haven't, uh, yeah. I haven't even considered that. So. It's called On Fire Service Leadership, and is that a working title as well? That is, is a that... working title. Um Right now, uh, the columns that I write are called Speaking of Fire. Uh, um, I really wanted to use the title Leadership on Fire, but that apparently has been taken by another author. Mm, so That's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's, what, uh, that's what the working title is until I can figure okay. out what's, what the regular is. Yeah. Well, Chief, we talked about some great things, your service in Vietnam, uh, starting out in the fire service, company officer leadership, um, and then advice for members transferring out of the military. Um, I appreciate your time. Is there anything else that no, we I, didn't cover that you'd like to hit? I think that's fine. You know, Matt, at, at some point in time, if, uh, you know, you have another topic that, you know, you've seen me write about or something and you want sure, to talk sure. about it, I'd be more than happy to. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Chief. Well, thanks so much for your time. You have a great day. Thank you. I do appreciate it. You take care. Yeah. My Bye pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fire Dog Podcast. You can find more episodes just like this on our website, firedog.us. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the Fire Dog Podcast. We're on Instagram at the Fire Dog Podcast, and we're on LinkedIn if you search the Fire Dog Podcast. That is the Fire D-A-W-G Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, like, follow, stay plugged into every new episode. Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you've enjoyed this episode and if you'd enjoyed the podcast so far. Lastly, we'd love it if you'd share this podcast with your friends and co-workers either on social media or at the firehouse. This is Matt Wilson with guest Chief Bob Relog. Until next time, stay safe.